Coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen, it's back to school time. Everyone is protesting something. Jackie Chan goes back to the badge, and we look at the films The Bullet Vanishes, Barfie, Resident Evil 5, and The Expendables 2. This is East Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Wednesday, September 19th, 2012. Yes, that's right. We're on a Wednesday. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me, as always, from his super secret location, even on a Wednesday, right here from the Fragrant Harbor, is Mr. Kevin Ma. I'm here seven days a week, Paul. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. You know, keeping busy. Yeah, so we are here on a Wednesday, um, unfortunately, and this is my fault, so for those live listeners out there who prefer to have us on Tuesday, uh, because of my work schedule uh, and because the semester has just started this week, I basically looked at uh, the teaching that I have to do on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, and my schedule is slam-packed for the first half of the week, so it's much easier for me to record and get the show notes and things done Uh, for Wednesday nights now. And of course, Kevin has graciously agreed uh, to make the move with me. Um, Thankfully, it suits his schedule. And so we'll be here for the interim, at least until uh, the semester ends in December. And I guess maybe we'll think about moving back or we might stick on Wednesdays. We'll, We'll play it by ear, right? I guess. No, I like the Wednesday because we we always record on Tuesdays and um, new movies come out on Thursday. So so having doing a Wednesday gives me an extra extra night to catch movies. Yeah. Which it gives I us an extra night and, yes. and we can talk about a little bit more closer to what's coming out the next day, I guess. Yeah. And uh, you know, for people who are here here in Hong Kong, it gives them one more extra day to watch something before we spoil it for them. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so that's all good. Uh, we've got a lot of films to talk about this week right what are we going to be covering yeah for e-screen we'll be talking about the bullet vanishes the new detective film starring lao cheng one and nick say and uh mini yang of course um and i'll be talking about the new bollywood movie barfi mm-hmm. starring uh rambir kapoor um for west screen i will be talking about um what is this the expendables 2 while, Paul, you will be talking about Resident Evil Retribution or Resident Evil number 20,332. Yeah, or uh, Milojovic getting naked again. For the really? Umpteenth time. No! <laughs> no! <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a sequel madness for West Screen this week. Um, all of that and a, a bunch more we'll be talking about. Uh, before I get into the news, though, I do want to make a quick recommendation. Um, I'm a, I listen to a lot of other podcasts and, uh, one of the podcasts that I look forward to, it's a weekly podcast is the Seneca podcast, which is, which is produced out of Beijing. And typically it focuses on China issues. Uh, they bring in a lot of journalists, people from, you know, who, who write for time and, 
and other people who are pretty high up in the industry. But this week they had a show that focused on Hollywood and China and, and sort of their relationship. And it was a really excellent show if you're a film fan, if you're into somebody who likes to follow um, you know, news and, and films, uh, news about Chinese films and some of the developments. And so I'd strongly recommend to go and look it up. You can just look up Seneca, that's S-I-N-I-C-A, uh, Seneca Podcast, and the episode is called Hollywood Comes to China. Um, and again, they've got, they've got quite a few people who are kind of working in the industry um, or following or writing about the industry on this episode, talking about things like the ho recent Hollywood deal where they expanded the number of Hollywood films that would be allowed as part of the quota to come play in China. Um, th they, they covered the thing we talked about where they chose to release Spider-Man and Batman together and some of the ramifications of that and why that happened. They've ta they talked a little bit about some films like Painted Skin 2 and some others. They've talked about IMAX and they talked about the DreamWorks deals that are going on. Some of the stuff we've covered here on the show... Um, they covered it and a couple of their guests really have some very good insight into it. So I found it a really interesting episode. And if you're interested in news about China cinema, um, I think you'll find it interesting too. So that Seneca podcast, Hollywood comes to China. It's their most current episode. And usually they release new episodes around Thursday or Friday of every week. So, uh, you can check that out. All right. I think with that, we will move on and talk about some news. All right, again, I didn't have a chance to really get out and cover much in terms of news this week, but there's been a lot going on. Um, of course, it's back to school time, so I am swamped with work. I've got a lot of new students this week. Um, so a lot of classes have been revamped, so I've got a lot of busy work that I have to get done, um, which kind of prevents me from going around and searching around for news as much as I'd like to. Um, but of course, the news here is dominated by protests about everything. I mean... A couple of weeks ago, we had protests against uh, national education. Now we've got protests against Japan. You've got the whole stuff going on in the Middle East, and everybody's protesting something. Um, I feel like I want to protest the protests. <laughs> Can I do that? A protest of one against protests. <laughs> um, so yeah, something more a... of uh, people getting their uh, their voices heard. But of course. The problem is when 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 things get out of hand, you know, like in uh, in China, yeah. Japan protests, and in um in in uh, the Middle East, where apparently the riots were blamed for the the attack on the U.S. embassy. Yeah, well, that's that that's all big stuff. But there's even a protest in Shangshui today. Did you see that news? Yes, I guess the the parallel importers. Yes, yes they were. They've been around since last weekend. Apparently, yeah. they've been it's been brewing for a long time, hasn't it? Yeah, this I was issue. just there last week. I used to live in Shangshui. Uh, when I first came to Hong Kong. And, you know, the railway station was a fairly busy place, but I went through Sung Shui last week, and I was amazed at just the amount of bodies that were pressed around the station. It really felt like I was in China. Um, and the few trips I've been to China, and I've had to go through some of the rail stations there which, when, when they're just jam-packed. And there were people lined up with boxes of stuff and goods everywhere. So... I can kind of get the understanding if you're a native person living in Shangshui, um, why you'd be annoyed that, you know, sort of all this gray market traffic is going on there. But yeah, there was a big protest that I was watching today. Um, and there was a little bit of a kerfuffle where a guy brought out the Hong Kong, the old Hong Kong flag while police were, you know, cordoning people off. And some guy, I guess he was one of the traders, jumped on him and attacked him. And there, there's a video up on YouTube. Um, so yeah, lots of 
lots of that nonsense going on. And then, of course, in the midst of all this, we've got a new iPhone coming, <laughs> right? Is that exciting? Are you going to get one? Are you excited? No, I have a, I have a 4S, and I'm, I'm just pissed that they changed, you know, they changed the adapter. Yeah. That's what yeah, I'm that's, pissed about. Uh, I mean, the phone is, sounds great, you know, finally 4G and a taller screen and retina display. You know, the, it, you know the I, I'm not disappointed. Because I have a feeling that people are disappointed because they they were following all the leaks, yeah, and they all got spoiled. So yeah. when nothing nothing you know nothing, when all nothing the stuff new, that leaked, I think we're beyond be right. You don't really have a have a have a right to be disappointed. You just you just got spoiled. Yeah, I, th- I think we're so, we're beyond the era of excitement when it comes to a lot of this stuff. But I I'm considering to get one simply based on the fact that my current phone, the battery is just a piece of garbage and it. I literally had it charged, have it charged at 100% when I go out in the morning. And by the time I get to work after watching, you know, maybe the news or something on it for um, just just over an hour, it's already sucked 30% out of the battery. And it actually ran out of battery today before I came home. And that's just through normal use. I'm not like using it all constantly throughout the day. Um, and it's just a terrible, terrible battery. I, I love the phone, but I can't stand it when batteries are like that, and I've got to keep it constantly plugged in. So I've been thinking about maybe going back to the iPhone. Um, it, 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 work, it would work a lot better with the infrastructure that I've got um, because I use mostly Macs for the, the work that I do and things. Um, but it is just such a pricey piece of equipment for a phone, and I've got the iPad, and it's hard for me to really justify it. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but we are also getting a new Apple store. We will have a second Apple store opening here in Hong Kong very soon. And uh, I don't know. What do you think of, uh, with all this Apple presence, are we finally going to get a bigger expansion of, you know, iTunes in Asia, in Hong Kong, and, uh, you know, suitable selections when it comes to things like Hong Kong films and, and China films in their database? Hong Kong films and I mean I think the iTunes store right now works for me because I mostly use it for music mm-hmm. and um, yes you know things like movies can you, and can and you TV buy a, what, is it, what is that hot song relying on the OOO model can you buy that you really know? hot Korean song Gang, Gangnam Style no I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it you know too many times <laughs> over the day to actually want to buy it it's, it's it's getting overplayed so there's no way but for you know for music you know new Chinese music new new um new soundtracks things like that new music you know it's quite useful for me mm. um it's working well enough and i'm really I'm, I'm just really appreciative that the store exists now um for movies you know it, it's, it's coming slowly um i think tvp is negotiating to put their stuff on for the tv store um movies i think uh, shaw shaw is, is slowly up, uploading the catalog um i was looking for uh, you know i was talking about black and white movie i think we were passing around messages about the new um Hundred must see movies, uh, and turns out one of the cafe movies is actually uh, on on the iTunes store here. Hmm, really? So I was pleasantly surprised. Um, so it is it is slowly expanding. It's not like we need a new Apple store to 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 justify anything like, like that. It's just whether whether distribu- distributors are here are gonna start adapting this new model, and hopefully it's gonna work well enough on the music side that would encourage um, the the movie companies to 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 join in because it is really dependent on whether Hong Kong people adapt yeah. this format it, or not. It just seem it would it would seem really kind of backwards to me though if if Apple's having this really large push 
in the region, particularly in Hong Kong, where they're going to have, you know, two stores now. And they're, they're in many cases, doing day and date releases of products, although we're, we don't, you can't order the iPhone 5 yet, because I think they're waiting for partner deals to go through first or something. No, no, you can't order it now. You can? Yeah. But you have, online, to, yeah. you have to do it in person. You can't do it online. Or did they open that? You can do it online. No, you opened it. Oh, really? Because I, I, I looked yeah. this morning and it was, still wasn't available, so... Really? I heard that you can open it today. Yeah, it's been open today, I think. Okay. Um, but anyway, but, no, um, it, it, it's not dependent on Apple. I mean, sure, Apple, of all people, wants to expand their business and, and you know, run the full iTunes store here. It's not a matter of Apple or not. It is a matter of where the the companies um, are going to do it, and they want a proven proven model. They mm-hmm. want a model that's just, they're not really risk risk they don't really risk takers here in hong kong let's face it mm. um so it really is dependent on where the music store works out because many of these big conglomerates like emperor and um and media asia they they started uploading this they joined into the, into the music store and if the music store works out and it shows that people are buying music then i'm sure then they're gonna they're gonna expand it over to to the movie to the movie page so it really does depend on hong kong consumers and whether they are willing to pay for music yeah so please Act in your conscience. Buy music legally. I do. <laughs> yes, follow in Kevin's uh, formidable foot- footsteps, right? Uh, don't watch it on uh, La TV. <laughs> La TV is legal, so there's no problem. Are you sure? So it is. It is. For, for Chinese movies, they're legal, and actually they've, they've taken a huge step to block, to block any non-China IP now. Yeah, okay. Just that for us. But, but La TV is legal. And I always encourage not to not just to pay, not not necessarily pay, but to watch things legally. Mm. Um, so so um, even if it's low TV, at least you're you're uh, or Yuku, at least you're supporting a legal way to to watch things, and that helps everyone because that encourages innovation, that encourages um, um, content owners to take new 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 platform to make content available to us. Mm. But uh, is that blocked for people in Hong Kong? Yes. Oh. Um, movies are, but TV shows you can still download. Okay, interesting, interesting. Um, so yeah, I, you know, uh, lots happening on the protest front, lots happening on the technological front. How about on the movie front? Well, uh, Kevin, you have a story for us. Jackie Chan is uh, going back to his roots, as it were, right? Yeah. Unless well, you count new it, police it, story, it does come with asterisk. <laughs> All right. Well, tell us what is what is this news about, Mr. Chan? Sure. Uh, yesterday, uh, a company called China Vision uh, unveiled their new slate. One of them is the new um, Stephen Chow uh, Journey to the West film. Um, it's been in the works for a while, and they confirmed that it will be out by New New Year. Um, meanwhile, they also um, unveiled a new a new uh, slate of fi- productions that are, that are going to happen, um, including... Jackie Chan's Police Story 2013. Uh, Jackie Chan said that his his new film um, Chinese Zodiac uh, is going to be his last action film or something. Uh, but apparently he lied. We always hear that. Yes, you always hear that. But apparently he lied because they at the press conference yesterday um, it was announced that Jackie will be reuniting with the Little Big Soldier director Ding Shen, and uh, they will be making uh, Police Story 2013. Okay, now does this have any? Is this a continuation of the original police story character or the new police story character or is it something totally standalone well i mean the police the new police story and the the, the first police story also had no um had no connection whatsoever and i wouldn't expect any connection here either i okay. think because this is not I mean, police, production i'm the, the the police he did like 
you know, the original police story films were the same character, right? One, two, three, four, yeah. right, I think. And then, but new police story was sort of a reboot. He's playing somebody different. Now, so this is not connected to either of those series, as far um, as we know. They didn't, I don't think they, they didn't review any, any uh, specific uh, plot details about the film. They just said they were going to, they're going to, 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 um, into production or they are going to make it. That's essentially the only news because it was a press conference and it was kind of like a, a fluff event. Um, and there were a lot of announcements and this one happens to be one of them. Um, there's not much details yet. And I think they're keeping it quiet until Jackie Chan is done with um, doing Chinese Zodiacs because they probably didn't, Jackie probably didn't want to take, take attention away from Chinese Zodiac because he directed the film and it is his 101st film as return to action and things like that. So I think I think Jackie is going to remain quiet about this new police story until after um, Christmas when uh, Chinese Zodiac is out. All right. Um, yeah. So we'll have to wait and see. It, hopefully, it'll be a bumper Chinese New Year uh, in the coming year. All right. I think that's about it for our news. So why don't we move on and talk about some of our films? All right, up first, we have uh, the latest from Lao Ching Wan and Nick Tse, uh, starring together uh, across from each other, as in the film The Bullet Vanishes. Um, so this is a film that uh, takes place in, I guess, around the 1930s period uh, of uh, the Shanghai, Shanghai era, although it doesn't really center in Shanghai, it moves, uh, moves outward a bit. Uh, but it follows the character of Lao Ching Wan, who it plays uh, Song Donglu. And he is um, an inspector, but it, I was really not clear. Maybe you can clarify this for me, Kevin, because he seemed like he was tied to a prison, but he's an inspector. I think he was working in a prison, but then he had really good detective skills and helped helped solve a lot of um, or reverse a lot of convictions. Okay, so, and so he got promoted out of the prison. Is that right? Yeah, I think I think he he reversed a lot of cases in the prison because of his detective skills, and and that's why they promoted him or they they gave him a transfer, yeah. something like that. Because I, I you know in the in the Western system, if you're a prison, if you're a, a guard in a prison, you you're not like part of the police force. So, it, I found that part a little bit weird, um, I, and I wasn't really clear on how how that was the transition of that happened. But basically, he's an officer, he's an investigator, he's got really good investigation skills. And they send him out into the city on a case. Uh, and in this particular case, uh, there's been uh, a series of murders that have occurred uh, where people have been shot, but there's been no bullet. And so in the course of investigating this case, um, he comes across the path of another police officer, uh, Guo Zui, played by Nick Tse, uh, sort of a younger, hot-headed uh, but uh, extremely cool character in contrast to Lao Ching Wan's more uh, thoughtful and, and uh, less action-oriented character, you might say. Um, and so they pair up and they go through the investigation of what seems like it's going to be... It hints at a little bit of maybe supernatural um, in some places, but very quickly moves on to being a straight-up murder mystery. Um some of the other players in this film, if I have this correct, Yang Mi, uh, Liu Kaichi, um, Yumiko Chang. Which, who was she, Kevin? She was the uh, medical examiner. 
Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. She um, didn't dub her own voice, so which is why I can't tell. Karina Lamb. Karina Lamb uh, gave the voice to the Mini Yang character. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, and uh, uh, a great cameo uh, for for me by Chin Kalok as well. Um, and and, uh, and a bunch of other uh, uh, mainland actors. Um, but uh, I think for me, the the Hong Kong actors were the things that stuck out the most. Um, this kind of starts out riffing on Sherlock Holmes ever so slightly. Uh, it, it really, there's a scene right in the beginning that I think I've seen done uh, before, uh, f- straight from Sherlock Holmes, although it's not, it's not like a shot-for-shot shot kind of a thing. But um, it, it really tries to give you that feel right at the start. But then it quickly really builds into something new because... Um, Lao Ching Wan's character, he, he's not the Robert Downey Jr. version of Sherlock Holmes. Um, he's certainly not the Benedict Cumberbatch version of Sherlock. Um, and he, he's really does build his own character. They get into his background a little bit. And, and I really like the way that, um, he works together with Nick Tse. They complement each other really well. In this, and I enjoyed his performance. His performance is a lot more reserved than things we've seen, especially in something like Mad Detective um, or some of the other films that he's done. And I really like when he's kind of holding back and he's being a little bit more thoughtful uh, of a character. Um, so I really enjoyed his performance here. Um, again, it is kind of a straight up uh, murder mystery for the most part, and that's pretty apparent. I think um, it's not really spoiling anything to say that. Um, I I would have think that I thought I that this would have been much more interesting though if they would have played uh, more of a supernatural angle. Um, some of my more favorite Sherlock Holmes stories were things like The Hound of the Baskervilles and things that you weren't really sure for a long time if they were really delving into something supernatural or something scientific. Um, but I, the, the leads play really well together. The supporting cast is really good. The visuals I really liked. Um, it's got some great art direction here. The sets are, are good, and the camera work is really nice. Um, so there, there are some action scenes which are, are okay. This isn't really, I think, set up to be a typical Hong Kong-style action film. Um, and it's certainly not trying to go in the direction of the more recent uh, Robert Downey Jr., incarnations, you know, the Guy Ritchie style uh, at all, which I'm thankful for because I prefer a much more, I, I prefer detectives, you know, who are much more akin to Doctor Who, I guess, and, and much more thoughtful and and not necessarily jumping to violence as the way to solve problems all the time. Um, uh, so the visuals are great. Uh, it, my main problem with the film was that I felt it really did suffer from post-production sound. This, again, is a major problem we've talked about before. It's one of my pet peeves because they're doing they're using a mixed cast. They're not doing sync sound. And, you know, they just go in and figure, well, we're going to do a Mandarin dub, so we'll do it in post. We're going to do a Cantonese dub, we'll do it in post because we've got all these different actors speaking different languages. Thankfully, um, at least Lao Ching Wan, and I'm pretty sure Nick Say did his own post dub, didn't he, Kevin? Both the main actors did their, uh, Liu Kai-chi, most of the Hong Kong actors yeah. except Yumiko Chan did their own. Cantonese version, even yeah. though um, actually in the first trailer, you would hear Nick speaking Mandarin, which means he was speaking Mandarin on set. Yeah, so I, I, I think that it was nice to actually hear their, their voices doing Cantonese, but it it did sound, you know, sort of in the can 
It, it, it sounds, it sounded tinny at times. It really, you could, you could tell it wasn't saying sound. Um, and I really wish they would kind of just not do that. I know they have to, you know, to try and be, do it on the cheap and appease people. But, uh, I really wish they'd come up with a, another method for doing that. Cause for me, sound is half the movie and if the sound isn't working well, it does kind of grate on my nerves. Um, but, uh, yeah, scenes, actually you could hear that they were doing six sounds, especially in the beginning when you first see Lao Ching one, yeah. uh, in the, when, in the, in the, um, prison room, you could hear that they were doing six sound there. So they they did do a six sound version. They did know, record sound on set. Maybe that didn't come across all that well to me though. Um, I don't know. It just maybe maybe there maybe that was there, but there wasn't enough of it for me to to catch yeah. on with that. Um, there, as as I mentioned, there is some there is a really nice thing in the beginning with um, uh, Chin Kalok. Uh, he's playing sort of a background character in, in relation to another character in um, in um, Song Dong Lu's uh, Lao Ching Wan's character's uh, background. And it's it. I loved the way they did it. They did it as sort of this old black and white style, silent uh, uh, pantomime TV um, thing, which I thought was great. It was one of my favorite parts uh, of the film, um, and I thought it fit well. Even though the, the this is a serious film with, with a serious tone, I thought that it was um, f for what it was portraying in that very scene. I thought it was great, and uh, I I have to say I really enjoyed this film a lot more than I thought I would. Until they got to the ending, <laughs> and then they just kind of crumpled it up and threw it away. <laughs> and you know, for me, um, everything was great until the ending. I'm not going to spoil the ending, um, but they throw in a twist that kind of just ruined it for me. And I, I kind of picked up on it at a certain point. I, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't like an M Night Shyamalan style twist. It's something that they kind of allude to. Um, but because I liked this movie so much, I had certain expectations for it um, by the end. And the way that they ended it, they just kind of ruined my expectations. And so I'll, I'll leave it at that. But that being said, I still really liked 95% of this movie. Um, I really liked it a lot. I would say one of the better co-productions I've seen in terms of just the story in terms of the performances in terms of the art art direction um and i'd say see it yeah i i just really really liked it um despite my distaste for the sound and, and the hmm. ending uh kevin okay um let me find my notes here um i think it's a it's a fine detective movie it's okay it lays out the clues actually i know the i knew the final twist way before because it it, it was ruined for me on weibo <laughs> so in a way, I was kind of looking for clues, and they laid it out fine. If you watch it again, there are some hints to to it. Um, but my problem is that it wasn't really that engaging. I'm not sure why. I think, um, like you said, there are many strong things about the film. Um, the 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 two the two leads are, are really good, and and the the mystery lays out fine. Even though it's a little confusing, even till now, I'm still not really putting the pieces together. There are still some holes in it. Um, or maybe it's the way that the reviews are laid out. Um, I'm not sure why. I think maybe there are too many people up against each other, too many different sides that, and not all of them are really necessary. For example, the the, the um, relationship between the, the factory owner and the town, that the, the the other corrupted officials and things like that. I know I know there might be some allegories because uh, Lodge learns that he wanted to 
say some things about modern China, contemporary Chinese society in the film. So there might have been some 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 allegories, but um, it felt like there were too many sides against each other, too many different agendas, but not really clearly laid out. Um, there wasn't any clear red herring to throw people off, so you're not really you don't really care about the mystery, I think, anymore halfway through because it's always about that one point about the damn bullet. Um, and I think it really needs that extra directorial flair. I don't think it's the MTV style I'm looking for, but something more engaging than what Lao Chi Learn does here. I think um, the the final showdown. There are certain things, especially the sound. Actually, I know that you you didn't like the sound mix, and I have the same problem with Chinese films in general about the sound mix. But there, there was a really good sound design going on throughout the film, and I wish they would put that kind of thought, the same thought, into the sound design, into the editing, mm. and into certain the the, the, the direction itself. Um, it just was kind of lacking that flair to really keep me keep me excited or keep me engaged. Um, but with that said, Nicholas A. Lao Ching Wan, good team. I think it's their first time together. Um, and like you said, they really complement each other. And there's some really good humor in there. And I wish a little more of that. Um, and oh, look, there's BD Yang again. Uh, Hardest working girl in China. film of the year. <laughs> her eighth film. Um, and I think we're almost done with her for the rest of the year. I think the, the major release for the rest of the year doesn't don't don't have her in it. So I think we're clear of, of Miss 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 Yang for the rest of the year. Um, but she is dubbed but in Cantonese version, she is dubbed by Karina Lam. And and hearing her voice makes me wish that she was actually in the movie. Who Karina? And Karina, yeah. yeah. And it's too bad that Karina's retired from acting and it made me wish that Karina was acting again and back in the movies. Um Lao Chi also said that he would make a franchise of the film with the Lao Ching Wan character uh, as a detective, um, and and I would welcome that. I think I think the, the the character is interesting enough, and his adventures are interesting enough, um, and and I would totally welcome a franchise. I would like to see what other directors do with this character. Um, I'm hoping it will be done better. Um, I think it's good enough um, in a year of really bad co-productions. I think that the bullet vanishes is good enough, but I'm not. I think it could have been done better. I'm not sure if I'm not sure why I wasn't really crazy about the movie. I know that the people I watched it with liked it, liked it a bit. Um, and I and I, I like I said, I mean, in comparison, this is one of the better films of the year, but just not that excited about it. Yeah, didn't I think really excite me. For me, I didn't if, break any new grounds. If we look um, at the so co-productions, that I would still have come say out. see it. <clears throat> I think I think it's been that kind of year that it's been so bad that anything that's solid enough I think it's already worn uh, a recommendation. So yeah, I yeah. think it's worth seeing. So see it. If we look at the co-productions that have come out, you know we've got um, Painted Skin Two, we've got um, uh, what was the 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 one with Tony Lang? Um, which Tony Lang? Uh, Lang Chuai. Silent War or yeah, or Sil- Silent War, magician? Silent War, um, you know, and 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 some of the others that have come out. I I think this one I found myself far more entertained with this one, and I don't. I was entertained with Painted Skin too, but of course, Painted Skin too. By the end, I don't know. I was there was so much cheesy CGI and and, and camp uh, going on there that. Um, I don't know, it kind of lost me in a few places. 
but this one I was kind of I was really kind of drawn in to 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 the story and to the things that were going on. Yeah, I do agree though. It was kind of convoluted. There were way too many characters. I was kind of lost, you know, because they brought in different characters, and I, I would keep saying, "Well, wait a minute, who's this guy?" and and what's his relationship? Um, but yeah, uh, Liu Kai Chi was amazing. I do have to say that. Uh, you know, he's a good he's he's good in almost anything he does these days. But um, his he was. I, I almost didn't recognize him at first um, because, you know, he's he's kind of changed his outlook for this role a little bit. And he's got this wacky haircut and uh, he, he... That white, white makeup thing. Yeah, he's got a swagger and everything. It's just, he, he's he's got a really good role in it, even though he's, he's a jerk. Um, but I really enjoyed his performance. And uh, yeah, Minnie Yang. I mean, what's not to love? <laughs> well, the, character, the entire character wasn't really necessary. I know... It plays a fairly important part towards the end, but uh, by the time everything's real, but it's just like, eh, could have been anyone. It's kind of like most of the roles. Anyone could have played it, and and you know, it doesn't really need to be there. That kind of that kind of feeling. Yeah. Uh, all right. So yeah, I think uh, 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 kudos all around to uh, for the film. All right. Uh, up next, we've got another Bollywood film. If I this is Bollywood, right? Kevin? Yes, yeah. this is Bollywood. Yes. Bollywood, uh, Barfi. Uh, now, wh- how and when did you see this? Was oh, um, actually, I, I knew it was playing um, here in Hong Kong last weekend because um, thanks to the Cineworld people um, and the Morning Star store in uh, Chongqing, they bring in the newest Bollywood releases every weekend. Hmm. And this one happened to be open this weekend. And actually, by the time it opened on about Thursday, Friday, I, I, it, word of mouth started picking up on the film uh, on Twitter. And it's supposed to be really good. And um, the day before the last day, the last showing on Sunday, I managed to get a ticket. I just kind of went and it's like, okay, um, I got a ticket for the next day and went to watch it. All right. Well, tell us about Barfi. Okay. Barfi uh, is named after the main character of the film. He's a uh, mute and deaf. Um, man who lives in Darjeeling, a small town. Um, but the film actually starts off um, in the present day when you see old Barfi um, getting into medical, having medical issues uh, and going to the hospital. And the story flashes back uh, to the 1960s, I think, when he was still young. And the, uh, and the story is uh, narrated from the, the, the um, point of view of Shruti, a kind of rich girl uh, from a big city, Calcutta, uh, and it flashes back to her days in 1962, I think, when she moved to Darjeeling with her parents. And that's when she met Barfi, a uh, really optimistic local kind of um, uh, a, a, a scoundrel, even though, you know, mute and deaf, he's still very charming. Um, and he, he goes after uh, this beautiful big, uh, big town girl, um, rich girl, you know, full on. Um, but of course, she is engaged already to someone else. And, and it kind of becomes this love story that, that can't be um so that's kind of one love story but uh, after that he also meets um a, a girl of aut- artistic girl uh, named jamil who is brought back into town by her parents her family is also very powerful in, in darjeeling and she was brought back to essentially to 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 stay with her grandfather before before he dies uh, and in the process um he also remembers barfi from when she was very young she's living in town and um, cir- after various circumstances, um, they come to be they come to be in a road trip uh, off off different places, and and always uh, with Jamil 
essentially stuck to Barfy the whole time, and at uh, over the time over time they they kind of fall in love. Uh, even during this really harebrained uh, kidnapping kidnapping scam, and of course after all the all that all that road trip stuff, things things kind of complicate, and um, then it becomes a full on love triangle. Um, it's a really it's kind of a complicated story, so I don't really want to review too much. But that's essentially basic skeleton. Um, and it's really hard to to talk about because the the narrative goes back and forth. Like I said, it goes from the present day to 1968, then it flashes back to 1962, and then you realize the entire the rest of the story is framed around 1968, but then it jumps back to present day and things like that. Um, it's a very complicated narrative, and it really threw me off in the first half, as the um, the focus kind of you you don't really know what the focus is. Um, but the 150 minute movie is actually a mix of a love triangle. A silent era comedy, a road movie plus a kidnapping drama, like any good Bollywood slash Hong Kong commercial film, it mixes the whole. It mixes a very, very large variety of drama uh, of different genres, and it all kind of works. It's a very old-fashioned story. Like I said, you have the rich girl and the poor boy, and and then you have the autistic girl and the dumb, and a deaf and mute, charming guy who's who looks like who kind of who, who um has this kind of Charlie Chaplin the tramp kind of charm to him. Um, there's a few scenes which literally apes um, old physical comedy gags from old silent comedies. And it's actually quite brilliant in the way that they use this deaf and mute character to recreate these, these silent era comedy scenes, uh, really classic gags. Um, and it's a very engaging film. Uh, it is very old fashioned a story, but it's when the more, the more clear the story becomes, um, the more clear that it is a love triangle, then you start to really get into it. Rabir Kapoor, who plays Barfi, he's remarkable. I've never seen him in a film before. I missed his previous films, but he has no dialogue whatsoever. He doesn't even have a musical sequence because his character can't sing because he's, you know, he's mute. So he his, his, his entire performance relies on body language. And the first scene where he actually uses... Um, Hand, hand signals, hand signs to communicate. It's actually a very emotional scene, and for him to and for them to to set up that scene as the first time he actually communicates using hand hand signs is actually a very powerful scene, and he is really remarkable here. And if he's not already a huge star, if he's not already known internationally, I think this would be his calling card. Really, elsewhere, I think beyond India, um, and Priyanka Chopra, who is actually a, a Miss Miss World, I think, uh, or Miss World like runner up. Um, she plays the autistic uh, girl Jamil, and, and she's actually also quite good. She doesn't really do the. Um, I was afraid that Bollywood would kind of overplay her character, uh, overplay the character, or exaggerate some of the traits, but she doesn't do that here. And then she gives a very good performance, a very, um, very sympathetic character. Um, so equally, really equally brilliant, I think. Um, uh, the film is a little long at two and a half hours, especially when you don't know where it's going. Um, by the first half, you kind of you don't really know where where it's going because you already one love story is already wrapped up and it's you didn't know the 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 autistic and the mute story become a love story, and it, you don't really know where it's going. But the last half hour really really elevate the film for me. It, it it brings everything back to focus and the 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 ending is actually really touching, and even I got a little teary eyed and I'm not exactly you know, the the most. How do I say the most emotional filmmaker, uh, film goer when it comes to melodramas? I'm really cynical at these things, but even I got a little teary eyed. Um, it is not your typical body movie. It has no musical sequence. Uh, there are really good songs, 
Um, it even has a little bit of kind of French European feel, uh, the music, but there is no traditional Bollywood, you know, musical sequence. But like the best Bollywood movies, it is masterful at leading your emotions, um, leading you to be to you know kind of roller coaster, kind of roller coaster ride emotionally going up and down, and it's really masterful at 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 pulling the audience, tugging the audience heartstrings, um, and you know that's what really the best Bollywood movies do, and this is one of them. So definitely see it if you have a chance. If it's playing in in your country, which is likely you know England or in the U.S., it's like you're playing in a big town or uh, a town with a lot of Indian population. So it's still playing. It just opened last week in Bali in India, and word of mouth is picking up, and um, a lot of people are talking about the film. So if it if if you have a chance, definitely see it. It does take time to get into the groove, and it takes time for you to get into it. Maybe a little more past the halfway point. Um, but it is definitely well worth seeing. So, so see it. How how do you compare it to um, like Three Idiots or some of the other uh, bigger films that have come through in uh, recent times? It's hard to say because, like I said, it's not really your traditional Bollywood movie in uh, like Three Idiots, where you have a musical sequence and and um, how do I say? But it is it is um, comparable with really good humor. Like I said, the the Bart, the silent era comedy stuff, the Charlie Chaplin imitation, and um, Rabir Kapoor is really charming as as Barfi. So it really have a great, it has a great leading man, like a really like all the good good body movies, but also does a very um how to say very sympathetic to to hand, uh, handicaps um, and certain handicaps, which is something you don't really quite see as much in body movies. Mm. Um, so it does handle that very with a lot of sensitivity. Um, and you know, like the really good stuff, like, like Free Idiots or like My Name Is Khan, they really know how to lead your emotions. They, it's really melodramatic, but but you're really into it. By the time like you're in the end, you're really emotionally involved in the story, and you're invested in these characters. Mm-hmm. But uh, the narrative is a little little complicated. But yeah, I would I would put it up there at least better than My Name Is Khan, for sure. Mm. It doesn't deal with big issues like Free Idiots or My Name Is Khan, but it is equally emotionally involving. All right. I'm looking forward to getting out to watch it. If I can. If not, video, right? Video. <laughs> All right. That's it for our East screen for this week. So let's move on and talk about our West screen films. East screen, West screen. Okay. So up first, we have... Um, Resident Evil 5, Resident Evil Retribution. Now, Kevin, you have not seen this film, is that correct? And I refuse to see it. Yeah, you refuse to see it. Uh, I've seen it, though, and I went willingly into the theater with my 3D glasses in tow. Um, And, well, what can I say? Uh, If you've seen Resident Evil, you've seen this movie. Um, Of course, it is directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, and it stars Mila Jovich as the central character of the series, Alice. Um, it also brings back a number of characters that have appeared in prior series, uh, and it also introduces a couple new characters, including um, one of my favorite characters, at least from the video ga- game series, um, Leon S. Kennedy. And unfortunately, despite this... Oh, and, and I should mention, of course, uh, Ada Wong, 
uh, played by Lee Bing Bing, uh, my favorites of the Bing Bing actresses, right? Because uh, we've got Lee Bing Bing and Fan Bing Bing, and I like Lee more than Fan. That's my personal preference, and I'm sticking to it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this film basically picks up exactly where uh, the last film, uh, Afterlife, Resident Evil 4, Afterlife, left off. If you want to set your way back machine to travel back to that film for a moment, you'll remember they were on this uh, container, this cargo container ship, and they thought they had uh, escaped to freedom, and then there was this massive uh, armada of these chopper copter planes uh, sent by the Umbrella Corporation coming to attack all of these survivors. And the, they ended the movie on that cliffhanger of a note. Uh, and so here we open this film right again from that sequence. Uh, and the, interestingly, this time, the director chooses to start that sequence um, in reverse. Uh, they, they, the, the attack that happens uh, once that scene plays out, um, he plays the whole thing backwards, which I think in some of the comments and, and critiques that I've read so far, some people said that's probably the most interesting point of this film. It's about, you know, a five-minute sequence that's all run in slow-mo backwards. Um, but my problem was it's not very original. And, in fact, I think that the director was basically just uh, ripping off uh, the trailer for another video game, a zombie-based video game called Dead Island, which apparently wasn't a great game, but before the game came out, there was all this buzz about the trailer because this trailer was basically playing this narrative of this this family being attacked backwards uh, in reverse. It was a CGI animation trailer, um, but it was really neat and it really generated a lot of buzz back in the day about the, the about that game. And so it's basically, he's done the same thing here. Um, and of course, as with any of the Resident Evil movies, there's lots of flash, there's lots of bang, there's lots of special effects. Uh, the premise of this story is that basically um, Alice has once again been captured by Umbrella and she's now taken to a facility somewhere in Russia uh, where they have this underground complex and inside this complex they've got mini replicas or well, you know, they've got re city replicas of New York, of Tokyo, of Moscow. Um, it's not the entire city but it's like a few blocks of each city and they've got all these clones there, which they use to uh, recreate outbreak effects to see what would happen. So these clones, because they can recreate them, they simply put them in the city, they release an outbreak, they see what happens, those clones die, they have a new batch of clones that come in. So th that's, this is basically the function of this weird facility that she finds herself in, and of course she must escape... Um, and there's a team coming in to rescue her. The team has been sent in by the supposed villain of the entire series, um, uh, who's known as Wesker. Uh, if you've played the video games, you'll know who this character is. But So he's now kind of trying to help Alice escape the facility, which has been taken over by the Red Queen, uh, a computer AI character that you will remember if you watched the first film. Have I lost you yet? Because <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, basically, Mila Jovich gets kind of naked in this, as she's done previously in other films. Um, there's a scene with her wearing basically what looks like two paper towels, two long paper towels covering her naughty bits, barely, and they are attached by dental floss. 
that you know wraps around her body one string or two strings of dental floss basically uh, not a very functional garment if you're gonna give a per prisoner a garment at all that's that flimsy just leave them naked i mean it just doesn't make sense there's so much about this film that doesn't make sense for example um when she gets a when she has a chance to escape the facility there's a swanky leather garb right in her room that this this drawer pops out of the wall and there's her um her s&m style swanky leather garb which you can see on the she's wearing right there on the uh the movie poster and of course uh lee bing bing as ada wong runs around in this sleek uh sleek uh red dress and i know that that is the the, that is the signifying outfit of this character in the video games, but it doesn't work in real life, right? It it doesn't it doesn't look like it's very functional. It doesn't look like she'd be able to fight well in it. It just looks kind of silly, and uh, that's a comment, a commentary coming from Mrs. Fox herself, mm. um, who 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 likes the Resident Evil series for the most part, and she likes Mila Jovovich, but she did not like this movie. I didn't really like this movie. I think we both had fun at the last one a little bit, but this one just is more of the same. It's a been there, shot that in the head, repetitive kind of thing. Um, you've seen these fight scenes before. It's just a lot more bullet time, a lot more slow motion, um, you know, more, more variations of the monsters you've seen. Um, some game references back to the games for fanboys, but not really any substance to this. It's, uh, we're stuck in this place and we've got to escape. We saw it in all the movies. We're stuck in this place. We've got to escape. Um, and unfortunately, Lee Bing Bang, who I can't tell if she's really acting in English or they've got a really good dub on her. Um, but for the most part, she was just like a zombie as well. She wasn't very exciting, very engaging. Uh, as the character, this is supposed to be a, 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 as she's portrayed in the video games, the Ada Wong character is supposed to be uh, a very James Bondian style um, expert in, in terms of being a spy and being an agent. And at the same time, she's supposed to exude a certain sexuality. And and I, I got none of that from uh, the, the portrayal here. Um, the Leon Kennedy character was flat. Again, he's my favorite character, I think, of all the characters in the series. We're very disappointed. Uh, they really didn't do much with anybody. Everybody is basically just a paper target uh, to get up on the screen and, and get chased by monsters and zombies, and uh, many of them do not survive. Um, so there's not much in this film, you know, that you're going to be asking why. Uh, the director doesn't seem to care. It, it's more an experiment in what can they do with more explosions, bigger explosions, bigger CGI, um, and more slow motion. Um, and it's, again, one of these things that just doesn't make sense. They, this facility that they have is there to test these viral weapons that they create um, for outbreaks. And then the idea was that this corporation, the Umbrella Corporation, is selling these to various countries, these, these, these viral weapons, the biohazard weapons. But the cost of running this facility it itself, there's no way you could cover that. It, it, you know, it's a, it, I'm think, I know I'm thinking too deeply about this because it's all visual porn, right? It, that, that's what these movies are supposed to be, visual porn going around killing zombies um, in lots of different ways. Unfortunately, it's just not very interesting. And I get, again, I say this as somebody who's liked the video games and I've liked some of the movies in this series. Um, it's just dull. It's, it's, it's... It's not exciting, uh, despite what you see in the trailers. 
Um, once you get past that sort of initial intro, it just is, it's kind of all downhill from there. Um, you know, and how is it that games can do better character and story than film in this day and age? I, I, I blame the director more than anything else. Um, the, the, they're supposed, and the, the other problem with this film is it's just like part four, um, in that it ends with leaving you with a cliffhanger. Um, so if you want any kind of resolution, you're not going to get that here, just like you didn't get it last time. See you in two years, maybe, because apparently they're not sure if they're doing the sequel unless this one makes money. So if you want a sequel, you're being held hostage. You've got to go and spend more money on this film. Um, but yeah, it's it's just kind of a... It, there's just really nothing there that's substantially worth recommending. Um, if you have any interest in this series at all, you know, if you're interested in the character of Alice, you're interested in seeing how they portray Ada Wong or Leon Kennedy, I'd say barely recommend this as a TV it. Um, but it's not definitely not worth 3D, uh, 3D ticket price. I wouldn't even say it's worth a matinee price. I'd say just wait until you get a chance to watch it on cable or, uh, you know, on Netflix or something. Um, if you have nothing better to do, and almost anything would be better to do than this so uh resident evil retribution uh watch at your own risk i guess man i can't believe the director of magnolia has fallen this far oh wait wait different different partners sorry <laughs> different partners <laughs> yeah well you know i i guess you know these films do make them money and uh Enough people yeah. worldwide go out and see them, and they'll keep making them. Uh, you know, the sad thing was is there there was actually some interesting opportunities because because you've got clones of people, especially the Michelle Rodriguez character. Um, there there are a couple clones of her. One's sort of like a good clone. The other's kind of like a bad clone. So it's kind of like the old Star Trek episode where you had a good Kirk and an evil Kirk. But they never do anything with that. Right. I mean, you're, you're expecting may, there might be a showdown, a face off or something like this. And and there might be some, you know, deeper sensibility that's looked at, and, you know, through this, this kind of idea. Nah, it's just zombies run, kill, death, buy run, more, run, more zombies run. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I, I know I want to think much too deeply than this film is worth. So, Kevin, please tell us something about uh, The Expendables 2. Yeah, I mean, the, the plot description would be much shorter than the Resident <laughs> Evil one, actually. Um, well, that's not um, saying much. People, that doesn't sound like a good thing. <laughs> it, it's very simple. A bunch of men get together and they kill many people. And that's essentially Expendables 2. Well, okay, I'm supposed to get in more in-depth. Uh, yes, Expendables 2. It is the sequel to the all-star action blockbuster which brought together a lot of old action stars uh, like like Stallone and uh, who else? Dolph Lundgren and Jet Li and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis. And even though the last two were just kind of a cameo. Um, here, uh, you kind of got the same, the same um, formula. It's back. Um, the movie starts with an action sequence with um, Stallone leading his group of expendables in a um, mission. Uh, to Nepal to rescue a Chinese businessman, and uh, the newest member is uh, Billy the Kid, who is played by Thor's younger brother, Liam Hensworth. Um, and of course, they rescue the Chinese businessman, and 
and they also rescue rescue um Arnold Schwarzenegger who was who who last showed up in the first movie as Stallone's uh, I think his his rival right I think his uh, a fellow mercenary. Uh, but of course, uh, that after that scene, Jet Li, uh, Jet Li's character parts of the rest of the group, says that he's going on vacation, and then escorts the businessman back to China, and then is missing for the rest of the movie. And this whole threat is never picked up again. Uh, they return <laughs> to Louisiana, I guess that's where their base is, where uh, the young kid, Billy the Kid, tells um, Stallone's character, Barney Ross, that he only he wants to go on one last mission. And then he would quit because the this kind of life isn't really what he wants. And he has a girlfriend in, in France that he wants to be with. So they go on one last mission, um, which is given to them by Mr. Church, played by Bruce Willis, uh, whom he, he betrayed at the end of the last movie. So it's time to pay pay him, pay him back, to pay back the favor. Uh, and, their, and their mission is to go to um, Albania to retrieve something that was in a crashed airplane. Um, and of course, the condition is that... Um, uh, they have to bring along a, a Chinese technical expert, uh, Maggie Chan, in order to crack the safe. So that's your there's your Chinese co-production requirement there. I uh, have a Chinese character, and they go off to Albania and they find a plane, but they're ex- intercepted by a group of local um, uh, army led by led by Villan, played by John Claude Van Damme. Uh, they kill um, Billy the Kid, and the rest of the movie becomes a revenge mission. Trying to retrieve what what they what they got from the plane, and of course to avenge Billy the Kid. That's really essentially the story. That but that is actually only forty minutes into the movie, and that that really is the rest of the movie. Um, the the way to explain this movie, uh, the plot of this movie, and I'm gonna say the I'm gonna talk about the entire hundred and six minutes of the movie is, boom boom, exposition, boom, exposition, road movie, boom boom, and roundhouse kick. That's the whole movie. Hmm. Uh, I think the I think the writers only had about half a movie worth of plot when they sat around a bar and threw it up on a on a, on a, a napkin, and then when they realized uh, right when they realized that during writing the script they just kind of decided to autopilot it from from that point and 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 kind of threw the entire story out out the window and just say uh, let's have them kick a bunch of asses and kill a bunch of people. Um, the stars are essentially Stallone and, St- and Jason Statham. Uh, they are the leaders of a group. Um, so er- everyone else, like Randy Couture and Terry Crews, and even Dolph Lundgren, to a certain extent, are in the side, kind of on the side. Dolph Lundgren has a few. He's mostly mocked as the the jock-like chemistry physicist or something, and he's supposed to be really smart but looks really stupid. And that's essentially his character. But it really is mostly Stallone and Statham and. John Claude Van Damme is oh, is in it kind of as a villain. Uh, Jet Li so didn't want to be in this movie that they forced the entire production to shoot his half of the action scene, the opening in Hong Kong. So half the scene was shot somewhere else, I think Bulgaria, which is where they, they shot the rest of the movie. And the entire production had to come come to Hong Kong, shoot for a week, and use some kind of interior just so Jet Li won't have to fly anywhere else to be in the in the opening scene. And that's how little he wants to be in the movie. And he has really gone after 10 minutes. Um, it's, so it's not like a big spoiler. He doesn't die or anything. He just kind of said, I'm going on vacation. He went away. So, um, so Jet Li is kind of in it, but it's really a glorified cameo. Uh, I think Bruce Willis and Arno were actually in the movie more than Jet Li. And they're not really in the movie until the end. Uh, and they do a lot more here uh, in terms of action. Chuck Norris's cameo 
so forced that they didn't even try to make it make sense. I think I thought at one point they were gonna pull like a sixth sense kind of twist and turns out he was a ghost because he really does <laughs> kind of appear out of nowhere and really conveniently. Um, so there's no use trying to figure out why he's there, but you know, just because he's Chuck Norris. Um, John Claude Van Damme doesn't, like I said, John Claude Van Damme doesn't really do much until the final showdown with Stallone, and and you know, his of course he pulls out his traditional roundhouse kick, signature roundhouse kick, and he kind of has some fun towards the end as a villain, but. Again, he doesn't really do as much, and I guess that's his punishment for not agreeing to be in the first movie. Um, they did force in a Chinese character uh, to get co-production status, and it's really forced because the the the, the Maggie Chan character doesn't really need to be in it. The Chinese businessman plot doesn't really need to be in it, but they throw it in there to try and get co-production status in China. But I think SARF was smarter than that, and uh, in the last minute they 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 denied the film co-production status anyway. So the Chinese the Chinese stuff in there feels even more forced because you know they're in there just to get a get a certain status, and you know. But it fits with the rest of the movie because nothing else in this movie feels convincing anyway. Um, it's even more nonsensical than the first film because it, it really is at the end uh, a bunch of guns going off and shooting a lot of people. You don't even care about what they're trying to get anymore. Just want to kill everyone so the movie will be over. Um, so if you're looking for a coherent story or good acting or some of a heart, then it's stay away. Yeah, there's nothing here for you. Um, it gleefully destroys and kills, but it does have a sense of humor and the action is good enough. And um I think if you're a fan of this kind of movie. It's worth watching in a good theater, good audio. Uh, the digital print here we had, uh, we had here in Hong Kong sucked, so don't think about the visuals. But um, for audio wise, it's actually quite worth watching in a big theater. I watched it in the biggest cinema in the grand cinema of the Rumble seats, and it was worth the ticket price. I think just for the audio. Uh, I think a matinee will be very good. So uh, if you're not into that, then you know TV it. If you like the stars um, and don't really care about a big theater experience than you know uh, a cheap video rental or if it's on tv or something then that's it's fine otherwise um if you're not looking for something of what i just explained or described then forget about it it's it's, it's a really nonsensical movie and that's the way we like it i guess paul <laughs> well you know you said it had uh, it was basically boom boom exposition boom exposition road movie boom boom and roadhouse uh, roundhouse kick right I think if you yes. take out one exposition, take out the road movie, and add in another roundhouse kick and another boom, and then you've got Resident Evil 5. <laughs> well, you forgot the monsters. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the monsters are just villains, right? I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's a, yeah. it, it's it's Van Damme or a guy in a bodysuit. Are, are you saying that, that Resident Evil has a roundhouse kick? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's got it's got all kinds of kicks because you know when the ammo runs out, then they you know uh, especially Alice she's got several fisticuff scenes. She has a, a a ground ground out fight with um one with the the evil variation of um of uh what's her name uh, da, 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 Michelle Rodriguez, and uh, it's a you know they're like doing flips in the air and back kicks and 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 spin kicks and all kinds of yeah it's just all over the place. Um, it's like WrestleMania. I'm sorry, if it's Mila versus if it's Mila versus John Coffin, and I'd rather see John Coffin do do roundhouse. <laughs> uh, well, to each his own. Um, I, I'm I'm curious to see if they can continue this Expendables, like you know when when Van Dam and and Norris and and these guys are like in their 80s, 
that'll be a film. They do have a sense of humor about their age. Yeah. Um, I think there are a lot of lot of jokes about their age. Of course, I mean, you know, what else can you do? And there are a lot of you know random references. You know, like like Arno saying "I'll be back" and things like that. And Yippie Kaye, I well, think. Ha- but uh, yeah, you're right. I I think as long as they keep doing this episodic nonsensical plot, they keep going because some of the plots really make sense. And they just have to find more excuses to kill people. But I'm more about I'm more about where they run out of action stars to put in rather than age. Yeah. Well, let me ask this because I haven't seen the first film yet, but you know, it's just not one of those things that really appeals to me. But as I look at the lineup on the poster. Um, the one actor that's there, I mean, I think Jet Li would be a bit of a draw for me, um, even though you said he only has a really tiny role, but the one actor that would really be a big draw for me of the whole lineup is Terry Crews. I mean, does he have a substantial role, or is he kind of pushed off to the side, too? He is in the whole movie, because he's part of the team. But, um, he gets a couple of lines in, but he's just really, um, a team player, mm. so to speak. Okay. Um, he's definitely in it more than Jet Li, but he's, he's, always, he's always there. He's a presence, but he doesn't have anything. He doesn't have as much to do as um, as Jason Statham. I think. Yeah, I, but I actually, like if, if you want to see Jet Li, if Jet Li is a draw, then he is um very heavily featured in the first movie. Is he? And he's okay. very good in the first movie, actually. Yeah. No, I really like Terry Crews. I liked him back when he was on uh, uh, Everybody Hates Chris, and uh, and he was on uh, the Newsroom, you know, as the the bodyguard. I think he's great. Yes. I like Terry Crews in the Aaron Sorkin drama than in The Expendables. I don't know what kind of world this is turning into. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our films for this week, and we will have uh, more film goodness uh, next time. Uh, for now, I think it's time to move on and have some comments. Let me play this first. listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. So we have one uh, question coming in from the live stream chat room uh, from Blue Summers X19A, who says, uh, my question for this week comments on Wong Jing's legacy. I feel that at the end of the day, he'll be remembered for diluting the Hong Kong film industry with lazy writing and uninspired movies, which made money. Uh, But looking at it from another angle, Wong Jing also contributed to Hong Kong cinema by giving aspiring actors a platform to showcase their talents and for other directors to see what doesn't work so that they themselves can avoid doing the same things Wong Jing did. Uh, Your thoughts? Um, Now, we've talked about Wong Jing a couple times some of the pros and cons of Wong Jing. Um, I, I got a chance to hear him speak once at a film conference, and I asked him a couple questions about his thoughts on, you know, the shift to co-productions and, and the, the restrictions on directors because they wouldn't be able to do things like, you know, ghost movies and, and letting the villains get away and some of the things that are often prime components of the films that he works on. And, um, He's a very smart man. He's very business savvy. He knows what's going to make money in the industry. Now, just just that being said, what makes money isn't always equivalent to a good film. Um, And sure, he does put out a lot of stuff that people might consider garbage, but that garbage goes on to um, fill the movie channel networks, be, be shown on planes. Of course, it gets some cinema time. 
um, or it does get some, you know, uh, it does get some release via DVD. Um, but I think more often it's making aftermarket money in, in hotels, on cable networks, and, um, you know, in those, those other sort of aftermarket sales areas that um, most people don't really follow or understand that much about. Um, I'm a fan of Wang Jing. I always tell my students, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I love Wang Jing much more than I love Wong Kar Wai. Um, I know that most film buffs would be the opposite, but I love the old Romancing Star stuff. I love all his early work. I think that, uh, you know, he really had a good sense of, of uh, Cantonese humor and comedy in the early days. I, these later years, yeah, he's gotten lazy. He's done lazy writing, but, you know, he, he's taken on much more of a business angle than an artistic angle. He, he doesn't need to experiment because he's kind of, you know, done that. He's just using the same old gags and a lot of stuff and a lot of times he's using the same old people, but he did give starts to people like Stephen Chow, uh, Andy Lau, Chow Yun-fat, Eric Zhang. You know, he, he worked with all the people who are the big names, uh, you, know, you know, these days. Uh, he's worked with them all. So what will his legacy be? It's hard to say, but, you know, one of the things that... Uh, I also heard some people criticizing Jackie Chan by this sometimes, too, with some of the things that he put out. Um, but Wang Jing more so, I mean, he kept people working in the industry, not just the actors, but he, you know, because he put still does so many films, you know, you're talking about uh, production people, production assistants, grips, lighting guys, editors, you know, without the dilution of Wang Jing films that come out, those people don't have jobs. And so you have an industry that suffers even more as a result economically because you know there's no people to have jobs they go do, go do other things and then when people want to make movies what do they do well they go to the mainland or they have to import talent or that talent's very expensive to hire because there's nobody around who can do it anymore um so that's kind of my take on it i i think it's it's a really gray area it's not really easy to define in terms of black and white um you know his impact uh, certainly he's made a whole lot of movies and he's kept the industry going but if you're looking at it purely from his contribution to the the you know art of hong kong cinema then of course you can take a much more negative view uh, kevin what do you say wong jing from what i know here in hong kong his legacy is already solidified it was solidified 10 years ago um he will always be known for god of gamblers and Romancing Stars and all those hit movies that he made in the 90s and the 90s. And nothing is going to taint that. Unless he pulls like a huge Jackie Chan um, PR disaster, he is not going to taint that. Um, it, it will always be around. And actually, I think people give him less credit than he deserves then because actually by making these really forgettable movies that, that actually contribute to, to movie networks, it gives movie networks Hong Kong movies to, to play. It gives cinemas Hong Kong movies to play. Um uh, it keeps you working, like you said. Um, they were so forgettable that no one's going to notice he even made them. So they're always going to remember the stuff he made in the 90s, 80s, and 90s. And it, nothing, and those those forgettable news won't even taint that because no one even cares about those. Yeah. So so in a way, he is actually smarter than he than he let than he than he than he seems to be. Um, and as lazy as as he is, he's uninspired as he is. Like you said, Paul. Um, he is essentially filling a void that really much need to be filled. Um, and even though he's uh, pandering to China a lot now, the last tycoon, and we saw uh, what marrying Mr. Perfect and things like that, he has moved up to the mainland. But um, even then, 
people will always, always remember him for those 80s and 90s movies. So that is his legacy. I don't think it will be lazy writing or inspiring movies. Yes, it is for cheap comedies, but it will also be for making some of the most, um, some of the most popular Hong Kong films of all time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if you have thoughts on Wang Jing and you'd like to share them, you can uh, send them in to us. Uh, uh, if you'd like to be a part of the show, you can do that in many different ways. Of course, you can send us your comments over at our website, kongcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com. Uh, you can stop by iTunes. You can leave us a review over there or tell us what you like, what you don't like about the show. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can follow along with some of the conversations we have on Twitter. Sometimes we talk about films and things like we were doing today uh, with uh, other friends that we have uh, who are also film fans. Uh, Twitter.com slash Kongcast to follow the show and updates to the show, like when we move to Wednesday nights instead of our regular Tuesday time slot. Uh, Twitter.com slash Foxlore if you're interested in following me, but... Seems like in the very near future, I'm going to be doing a lot of tweets for my students. So you're going to be seeing lots of inane questions like, you know, what is the role of media in our lives and things like this. And you'll see all these weird uh, uh, course title extensions as hashtags on the end of them. But uh, you can follow along and sometimes uh, get involved in some of the film conversations that I get engaged with with Kevin and uh, some of the guys from the Love Hong Kong Film website and other places as well. Of course, please follow Mr. Ma. He is twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. Um, he does tweet quite often and frequently about film-related news, facts, figures, people, uh, everything that you want to know that you could probably only find on Weibo. So uh, come here if uh, you are Chinese-averse, right? Uh, Gmail. Yes, including uh, launching being racist against Japanese people. <laughs> well, what's that news about? That is true. He wrote an entire tweet on Weibo about how much um, Japanese people are mentally twisted and, and self-aggrandizing. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, I thought he was doing yes, some business with China. To find out. <laughs> with Japan. Oh, well. Uh, so, yeah. So, so uh, follow along with Kevin uh, for all that kind of interesting tidbits and news. Uh, if you'd like to send us a short review or some comments or some questions, you can do so via traditional email that is uh, eastscreen at gmail.com. And, of course, please uh, go over and, if you're on the Facebook, uh, check us out on Facebook. It is facebook.com slash eastswests. Um, also, Google+. Plus. We are on Google+, Plus and we do local movie nights here um, in Hong Kong, um, usually on Thursdays, sometimes on the weekend. If you would like to be included in those events as they are posted, please drop me a line over at Google+, Plus or on Twitter, or on any of the other venues, and I can add you into that movie group. Uh, you can catch us on Stitcher if you are iTunes-averse. Of course, you can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phones. Even if it's an iPhone 5, it will still work. That's how good Stitcher is. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for their support of our little show. Additional thanks go out to Rob Gubbers of Schnauzer Studios for our theme, Ross Chen of LoveHKFilm.com for keeping us organized with movie nights each and every, each and every week, uh, the K-Man for sticking with me in this show, even on Wednesdays, for 124, going on 125 episodes, and of course, all of you, the listeners. On our next episode, what are we going to be talking about? Well, we've got Due West, Our Sex Journey. Yes, that's the title. Um, it is a Category 3 film, 
in 3D, although I think we're seeing it in 2D. Uh, we should be seeing it tomorrow. Um, thoughts on this film, Kevin? I'm like so not excited. <laughs> it, it, actually, I, I finished reading the, um, the, internet, the the novel last week, and that made me excited because actually the novel is quite witty. Yes. Um, it is not about sex. It is actually... Um, well, you wouldn't know it from the trailer. On... I'll tell you that. <laughs> Was that? I said you wouldn't know it from the trailer. <laughs> yes, the trailer is selling the sex, but actually, it is the 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 novel is very witty and it makes a lot of witty observations about our current internet culture and things like that. Even though, yeah, and and um, makes me look forward to the movie. Um, it's actually worth. It's going to be very huge hmm. from the from the looks of the the advanced screenings. Uh, it's going to be very huge here in Hong Kong. So definitely worth talking about next week. Yeah. Uh... Okay, well, you know me. I, I'm not the I'm not the big fan of uh, of the category three stuff unless it's like um, 33D Invader and it's got some sci-fi and some goofiness mixed in. Uh, but you know what? The director's already promised no, 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 no human explosions. <laughs> well, shoot, you know I'm out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no violence. It'll be all sex and all comedy. So, so I think if if that makes you feel a little better, so. well, we'll we'll see. Um, so yeah, that we we've got that. Um, anything else on the agenda? I think Ted is finally coming out here. Um, I'm not. It a, gets advanced screening. Yeah. Uh, previews this weekend. So it's not general release yet. No, not until next week. This weekend's oh. a preview. I'll probably I'll probably catch it. Yeah, maybe we uh, can as well. Also, uh, the new Korean film, The Taste of Money. Ah, uh, the taste of money. Yes. Uh, yes. Tastes like Gangnam style, right? No. <laughs> Did you see that they got that guy on Saturday Night Live for the for the season premiere? No, I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, they they uh, they did they did a parody of the of the video, and then they ended up bringing the actual guy, the actual singer, out too. Funny. <laughs> Sigh. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all the big, oh, the, the more funny thing. Have you seen the, the, uh, the Hitler parody of that song? Yes, I tweeted that song. Oh, did you? Yeah, that's great. I love that. That was, that, I was laughing at that one. Um, so yeah, all that, that's all good stuff. Um, we'll keep all of that, uh, in the show notes, all that and much more, of course, on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen. Wishing you all good viewing, and we will see you on Wednesday next week. See you next week, everybody. Uh.